Awesome. So open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Thanks so much, Hannah, for reading the Bible for us. It's a uh, very special to me that Hannah was able to read the Bible for us this morning as the Davy family will be farewelling the Davy family next week as um, Paul has taken up a post as Senior Minister of the Anglican Church in North Goulburn, which is wonderful news for the Davy family. We are excited for them and sad for us. We will miss them desperately. And I was really glad that we could see Hannah on the live stream reading the Bible for us uh, this morning. Thanks so much, uh, Hannah. That was fantastic. Um, friends, please keep your Bibles open at Romans uh, chapter 5. Uh, also remember to text in your questions. The number should be on the screen. Um, there it is. You can text your questions in uh, during the sermon and then will be a question time after prayers after the sermon. I'm going to pray now briefly. Please join me. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you for this stunning letter that Paul penned all those years ago that we uh, benefit from today. And Lord, please, this morning, um, we pray that you remove distractions from your word uh, from us all, that we might uh, hear afresh your grace to us clearly and be and rejoice, Lord. Rejoice in your wonderful um, love, your wonderful grace, your wonderful treasure that is forgiveness of sins through faith. Uh, Lord, remind us again, lift us up by your word, we pray, work in us by your spirit, we ask, through Jesus' name, amen. Um, well, a few years ago, my wife and uh, Lara and I bought a car, and uh, it was a brand new car, a couple of years later we sold it, and now we rest easy knowing that our kids can trash our 10-year-old car and we don't care. And before you buy a new car, you of course do your homework to make sure it's the car for you. You look online, you check it out on the lot, you take a test drive, you talk to the salesperson, all that kind of stuff. But after you've bought the car, it's just, it's different, it's better. Um, they don't tell you all the features, you jump in and they show you the features and you press all the buttons and you try it all out and you know that it's your car now. You turn on the dual zone climate control and you turn on the seat warmers and the sat nav and the blah, blah, blah and 
You've got this warm, fuzzy feeling knowing that it's your car and you're about to drive it out of the lot and continue to enjoy it. Not before your three-year-old has spilled millions of microscopic wafer biscuit crumbs all over the back seat and through the back seat, of course, but still, uh, there's that excitement that actually happened. That's not just a joke. Um, over the next days and weeks, you actually discover more and more features about your new car as you drive it and as you probably don't read the manual, but should read the manual. I wonder what this button does. Oh, cool, rain-sensing wipers, that's awesome. What's this adaptive cruise? Oh, adaptive cruise, wow, that's awesome. Etc. Etc. You discover the new features about your new car as we did. In many ways, this is an illustration of the Christian life. For most of us, and certainly for me, whether you grew up as a Christian or not, there's a process of research, of investigation. Uh, you read about Jesus in the Bible for yourself. Maybe you do a confirmation course when you hit your teen years. You listen to sermons about Jesus. One day you consciously put your trust in Jesus or one day you go through confirmation or something like that and you own your faith for yourself. But I can tell you from first-hand experience the Christian life is a constant discovery of the many awesome features, if you like, of being a Christian. The Bible doesn't call them features, it calls them blessings. The blessing of forgiveness of sin, of peace with God, of the Holy Spirit within, of assurance for the future, of the hope of heaven, of a wonderful church family, of deep relationship with other men and women who I call brother and sister. And the longer you've been a Christian and the more you've studied the Bible, kind of like the operation manual for life for a Christian, the more blessings you discover. Well, today we're going to look at three amazing features, blessings of the Christian life presented by Paul in the first 11 verses of chapter 5. And the first is the blessing of righteousness. When you trust in God, it means you've repented of your sin, you've submitted to God's will, and the result is justification by faith or by trust. Through trusting in God, trusting in Jesus' death in your place, you are forgiven for your sins. You are made righteous, which means you now have a right standing before God. Where you were once guilty, you are now innocent. Where you once faced God's judgment and wrath for sin, you now have peace and reconciliation with God. Look at verse 1 again there. It says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians are not only forgiven, they also become friends with God, indeed children of God inheritors of all of the infinite and abundant blessings of God. About 20 years ago, I was still living with my parents and we heard an almighty crash outside the house. And we went outside and a young bloke had lost control of his car, driven up our driveway over the top of the letterbox and was now parked in our front garden. Now, long story short, Dad was understandably furious, um, mostly because he had the thought, what if my family had been standing at the bottom of the drive, as we often are getting out of the car? Now, to his credit, and at his, to the young bloke's credit, and at his father's prompting, the young bloke decided to come over that next weekend and help my dad replace the letterbox in the ground. Dad had to pay for it, but he helped him put it back in the ground. Dad forgave him, and genuinely, and off he went, hopefully having learnt a valuable lesson. But that was the end of the relationship with dad and this man who he forgave. Forgiveness was given, but the relationship was ended. But that's not the case with us and God. 
He does not forgive us from our sins and then say, off you go. When it comes to God, when it comes to faith in Jesus, through repentance and faith, forgiveness is given, peace is made, but reconciliation is also made. Enemies of God become friends with God through Jesus. And we can now approach the holy God with confidence. Look at verse 2. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. What it means by access to God's grace, it means that not only can we now approach God, which was impossible in the Old Testament, but made possible through Jesus. We approach God once and for all. We stand in his grace, it says. In essence, we've packed up our bags and we've moved into the heavenly palace with God. We are now his family, his children. We dwell where he dwells. Ephesians 2, 6-7 describes it as being seated in the heavenly realms. Through faith in Jesus, you become part of God's family, dwelling in God's household, secure in his infinite grace, love and strength. Nothing more can be done in order to secure your sonship. You are now and forever a child of God through faith in Jesus. A second blessing of the Christian life is suffering. That sounds funny, doesn't it? Suffering, how can that be a blessing? But look again with me at verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The suffering on view here is not sickness or stress or even job loss. It's the opposition to the gospel that we as Christians personally experience, both actively and passively. Sometimes we might suffer at the hands of an accuser, a mocker that is actively persecuting us with their words in some parts of the world, physically, violently. But most of the time for us, it is passive. It is living the Christian life knowing that the culture around us opposes Christianity. Take heart, friends, in the knowing that suffering is a blessing from God for three reasons. Firstly, suffering is the one and only path to glory. It was true for Jesus and it must be true for us too. If you're suffering for the gospel, rejoice in the knowing that you are on the right path. You are headed for glory. Secondly, as you walk the path of glory then, you're being matured now. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. We grow so much more as we endure suffering than we do in the good times, and the easy times. As we mature, when suffering comes, we're forced to remember the hope in which we live, the grace in which we stand. We're forced to remember that God loves us. We're forced to remember that God's in control despite our suffering. Suffering reminds us to remember God, that he loves us and we're headed toward him physically. So thirdly and very importantly, hope doesn't put us to shame. It never can. It never would. Let me explain. 
I hope my footy team, the West Tigers, will win the Premiership every year. And every year, my hope puts me to shame as they don't even make the playoffs. To hope in Jesus is to never be put to shame. You could be ridiculed. You could be alienated in your workplace or even your family. You could be imprisoned. You could have every reason for shame, humanly speaking. But no matter what happens, you still have Christ. You still have hope. You can still rejoice. You can find joy in the midst of suffering because God's love has been poured out abundantly into your heart through the Holy Spirit who's been given to you. You're never ashamed. You are joyful in the knowing that you are loved by God richly. And God's love for you is not like filling a cup or even a swimming pool or even an ocean. It is greater. God's love poured out through his spirit is like a raging river in your heart that continues to flow daily. God's graces are upon you daily as you live, as you breathe, as you struggle and as you suffer in his name. When you suffer, be joyful knowing all of this. You are headed for glory. You are growing in maturity. You are loved by the author of love. Verse 6, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My very favourite section of the Bible. In God's perfect timing, when we were still powerless and still ungodly, there's a second still in there that sounds a bit clunky when you translate it into English, which is why you can't, it's not there. But I think it adds emphasis. While we're still powerless and still ungodly, Christ died for us. We are sinful by nature and powerless to do anything at all about it. Do not think for a second that left alone the sinner has any capacity to move towards Christ to hold out their hand, to accept his gift, to grab the rope that's been thrown to them to stop them from drowning. No. Ephesians 2 is clear. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. While we were dead, Christ died for us. Christ reached out to us. Christ rescued us. He did all the hard work. Such is the gracious, indiscriminate love of God. God's love for us is not like our love, which is almost always biased. The righteous person is the one who upholds the law. The righteous person in the text there is the one who upholds the law. Perhaps a little rigidly for our liking even. In our culture, we like to call law abiders teachers' pets, party poopers, fun police, when in fact they're just trying to do the right thing. Well, rarely will someone die for someone like that, though for the righteous person who's also good, which really means the person who does the right thing, perhaps over and above the right thing for us, and they're good in our eyes, well, someone might dare to die for that person. I think the point here, friends, is our love is often fickle. It's usually biased, and let's be honest, it's not unheard of, but it's very rare that someone will die for another person. But God shows his great love for us in this. While we were sinners, 
rebels, enemies, insolent, arrogant, God-haters. It was then that Jesus died for us. My favourite verse in the Bible, verse 8 of Romans 5. I remember reading a book about grace when I was 21 years old called Transforming Grace and the penny finally dropped. I was a sinner. I swore too much. I didn't respect my parents enough. I binge drank once in a while with my friends from work. And I realised that Jesus died for me despite all that. It was an overwhelming realisation when Romans 5, 8 really stuck in my heart. And I realised that even though I was a sinner, Christ was willing to die for me. It was an overwhelming realisation as I lay on the floor of my friend's holiday house in Avoca, I can still picture the room, heaps of bunk beds in it. I was reading this book. I had not moved towards God a millimetre. In fact, I was speeding away from him. It was then that Christ came to me in love and died in my place. What overwhelming love. What extraordinary grace he showed to me. And he showed to you as well. He longs to show this grace to you. Accept his grace for you. And so we boast in the one who loves us and sent his son to die for us. Look at verse 9. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The reality of the Christian life is a great tension between now and the not yet, between the blessings already given and the blessings that are yet to come. We have been justified, yes. We already have peace with God, yes. We are now standing in grace, true. We rejoice in our hope and in our sufferings, absolutely. Yet there is more, friends, much more, still to come, which is not yet ours. We long for our heavenly home with disease, danger and death no longer exist, but we're not there yet. We long to be in the physical presence of our Lord, to worship him face to face, but we can't just yet. We long to be rid of sin, don't we? We long to be rid of sin. We long to be free of this mortal, sinful, broken, decaying body and clothed in our immortal, sinless, eternal body. If we have already been justified, been reconciled through the difficult thing for God to do, which was the giving of his Son, our Lord Jesus, upon the cross, how much more shall God be able to accomplish the easy thing, which is to raise us to new life and welcome us into heavenly dwellings with Christ forevermore, to declare us innocent on that great day of judgment because of what Christ did all those years ago. Knowing this, we rejoice, we glory, we boast in our Lord Jesus Christ who has rescued us from the coming wrath who has reconciled us to his Father through his blood willingly given, who has sealed us with the Holy Spirit, who has given us great hope, even in suffering, through God's love poured into our hearts. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. 
We speak of his name day by day and from place to place. We long to make our glorious Lord known through the nations. We certainly hope that others put their trust in him too as we boast about our Lord to them. But in one sense, we can't help boast no matter what. Whether they're going to accept our boasting or reject our boasting, make fun of us, we boast in our Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot help ourselves. The Christian life ought to be characterized by great joy, great positivity, especially at this time, friends. What a joy it is to be a righteous, suffering boaster. Let me ask you, what is it that you rejoice in, that you're boasting in right now to your friends and to your family? Is it the new car or camper or caravan? Common for men to boast in those things. I had a little boast Friday night with some friends about a camper van. Is it the new kitchen appliance, the thermomix, the pressure cooker? Lara gave me permission to say that she has done quite a bit of boasting about a new pressure cooker of late. And I must say my taste buds are also boasting about a new pressure cooker <laughs> as Lara's been cooking amazing meals, even more than usual. She can whip up some seriously awesome meals seriously fast in that thing. Kids, is it the new Apple computer game that you're boasting about? Friends, boasting in campers and cookers and games is fine. It's okay. But are we boasting in the Lord all the more? Are we boasting in the Lord first and foremost? Are we boasting in the Lord each and every day to ourselves as we go throughout our day? You'll know if you are, because you'll have great joy no matter what's happening in your day. No matter what going through, no matter what you're going through. You are justified. You are reconciled. You have the hope of the glory of God. You might be just over all this COVID stuff, signing everywhere, social distancing, no church gatherings, I am a bit. You might be sick right now, and that's never easy, especially when it's serious. You might have just had surgery, as we know some of our beloved parishioners have. That's hard. You might be out of work right now, and that's scary especially if you have little kids and big bills. You might even be watching someone you love die of cancer before your very eyes. And I don't even dare to imagine your heartache and pain you're suffering. You might be dying yourself. Paul wrote down at the end of chapter 8 these amazing words of comfort. In all these things, these sufferings, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may have no earthly reason to be happy right now, and I know some of you watching have no earthly reason to be happy right now. But you have every reason to rejoice and be thankful, to have joy. For God has poured out and is continuing to pour out his love for his people into their hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we live our lives, and even in the face of death, we are richly blessed, more than words can explain. We are justified. 
reconciled. We boast, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And friends, the best is yet to come. Amen. I'm going to continue to lead us in prayer now. Loving Father and Almighty God, we praise you as the one true God who was willing to sacrifice your Son in order to save us from our sins. Loving Father, we celebrate that you did not withhold your one and only Son, but you paid the ultimate price in order to save us who sinned against you. We are worthy of your condemnation, Lord, but through faith in Jesus' death that brought you the ultimate glory, Father, we know we are spared death. Please help us to stand firm in this truth and not be swayed by any teaching that might compromise these truths. Help us not be swayed by the enticements of our city that would lead us away from worship of Jesus. Please transform us into the likeness of your Son, that the truth of your glorious gospel may ring out from us in our actions, thoughts, words, and in our rejoicing. We thank you, Lord, that we know our work for Jesus is never in vain but rather you use all of our meager efforts for your purposes and glory. Great God and Heavenly Father, please come powerfully to our nation in these dark and difficult days. We thank you for your great answer to prayer in slowing the spread of this virus throughout Australia. We're especially thankful that it has been eradicated from our aged care facilities in New South Wales. Lord, we pray for your merciful hand upon the many nations for whom this is not the case, and it is spreading rapidly. Lord, please continue to protect the vulnerable from its deadly touch. Please lay your healing hands upon those who are now infected. Please restore them to health and strength. Please comfort the families of those who have died from the disease or from anything else. Please comfort the families who have had difficulty in mourning the loss of loved ones due to social distancing restrictions. Please fill their hearts with your presence. Gather around them friends, family and neighbours who will comfort and support them in their time of loss. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the gift of modern medicine, and thank you for the passion and dedication of medical staff everywhere. Please give each one of them your wisdom in every decision they make. Please protect and sustain them and give them the strength, energy and courage they need to carry on. Please continue to guide the minds of our leaders in the decisions they make that will affect all our lives especially as restrictions continue to lift. We pray, Lord, for those in government and we pray, Lord, for those in the church. Please lead them to act wisely, carefully in the best interests of all people in their care. Please shine your light on the path ahead, Lord. Please draw close to the anxious hearts and troubled minds of those who now face great, great financial stress. Please protect them and their families from long-term economic damage. Guide them day by day and step by step through this crisis. Please give each one of us the calmness, wisdom and joy we need to carry us together through the days, weeks and months ahead. Please plant into the heart of every Australian the spirit to love our neighbours as ourselves, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus in caring for those around us, friends and strangers alike. Please, lovingly fa Heavenly Father, make us leaders in loving our neighbours. 
Please draw especially close to those who are alone or troubled at this difficult time. Calm their troubled hearts. Move their friends, family and acquaintances to call them to encourage and support them. Thank you, Heavenly Father, you understand our suffering, for you too have suffered. You have seen your beloved Son suffer rejection, humiliation and death on the cross to rescue us from the power of darkness. May all who are suffering, frightened, isolated and alone look to Jesus. May this pandemic cause many thousands to cry out to you for peace for the first time. May they find reconciliation with you through the reconciling work of your Son upon the cross. May our confidence be in your embrace, our devotion to you in prayer. May we listen to your words spill forth and have an immense desire to share your love with the world around us in any way we can. May we boast in your glory. May we be overflowing with love and the good news of the gospel to those around us. So fill us, Lord, with security and confidence in your embrace that we're fearless to share the love of Christ with all we meet who don't yet know his love. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen.